0: Hey, Jared Dubin here. This is the audio from Tuesday's chat on the Halftime app with Mo Dekeel. He is a former video coordinator for the Clippers, Spurs, and Australia men's national basketball team. You can find his work at Bleacher Report. You can find it on the Athletic Podcast Network, the Nerders. She Wrote podcast. You can find his uh, One Mo Thing videos on Twitter, and you can find his Twitch stream as well. Mo is super knowledgeable, obviously, about the inner workings of the NBA, X's and O's and stuff like that. And uh Mo is out in LA. So we talked about the Lakers, the Clippers, as well as the Spurs, because he like I've mentioned, he worked for the Spurs over in his career. And we had a brief interlude to talk about the Celtics as well. Enjoy. Thanks for doing this, man. Appreciate you hopping on.
1: No, I'm happy to do it. I'm glad I didn't fuck up the date either.
0: (laughs) I have been screwing up dates. uh, I think it's going on like 10, 11 years now. So I'm with you on that one.
1: I've had a really weird run though, Jared. It's like I used to never do this. And then in the past month, like I almost missed a baby shower, like found out like, an hour and a half before the baby shower that there's a baby shower I'm supposed to go to um, messed up the times for another baby shower. Cause everybody around me is having babies. Um, and then just from there, like random things I'm screwing up like time wise. I'm like, what's what happened to me in the past month?
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, once I started working from home full time, it was like every day is the same day. It doesn't really matter. And that's been going since like 2010, 2011 now. So it's been a while for me. Like last week, I thought um, I thought le- next week was le- last week at one point, so I messed up the wrong day. And I was like, people from CBS were hitting me up, like, "Hey, man, are you working today?" I'm like, "No, I'm not working until next week." They're like, "No, today is next week." So <laughs> right, worked out super well. <laughs>
1: just just leads to chaos.
0: Oh yeah, man. Um, so I want to start here talking about the LA teams since you're out there in LA and I think I mean I guess we got to start with the Lakers obviously they come out last night um and lose to Chicago um they're honestly doing like a little bit better than I expected them to without LeBron like they're eight and seven they're above 500 granted they've played like all of their games at home but without LeBron I was expecting it to be pretty bad and they've mostly been like they haven't been good but they've been fine so the kind of low level freakouts that i see people have about them have been somewhat confusing to me. what are your feelings on them so far?
1: i mean i i probably have a little bit of a freakout each time i watch just cuz i'm like god like it's so bad. and then it's i then i go and look at things and i'm like yeah it's not that bad when you think of it. think about it. like you said no lebron they've they've kind of done all right. they have some bad losses. look. oh yeah. the two losses to oklahoma city are unforgivable getting smoked by minnesota pretty bad like right there those are three losses you're looking at when you're eight and six going like damn we gave those away if you win two of those we're talking a different team right like they're 10 and five and it's and 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 we're going like okay it's a little bit was it my math correct right there or is there 10 and four It'd uh eight
0: ten. and seven so it would be 10 and five
1: 10 and five, Oh, i was right the first time okay never doubt myself i gotta be better at that um <laughs> <laughs> the uh um but, like there's there's just a couple of things like that where you're you're looking at it going like, just doesn't feel right. I was always more concerned about them in the how they would play in the playoffs in the regular season. I think still Kendrick nunn's a, a I know it's not a flashy name or anything, but that's a guy that can help a little bit. I think, you know, Malink Monk has shown flashes. Mm-hmm. I'm not I mean, they just got tht back and 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 I think that's gonna be up and down for a little bit as well until he fully gets his sea legs under him. I'm not ready to panic yet. You know, I'm not at that point where we really need to freak out. I think this is going to be a team that's going to need the regular season to figure it out.
0: Oh, for sure. And, like, when you watch them, it does look bad. Like, everything looks terrible. And then, like, so their losses have been, for the most part, blowouts, with the exception of one of the Thunder games, and their wins for the most part have been close games so they've got like a pretty strongly negative point differential like you'd expect them to be you know seven and eight six and nine instead of the eight and seven that they are right now granted like I I find it tough to even want to watch them right now to begin with because what are like what am I learning when I watch a Laker game that's going to be useful for any point in the season they don't have LeBron playing like it just It's like I went through the same thing with like the Sixers a couple weeks ago when Tobias was out and Embiid was out, and obviously Simmons is still out. It's like why am I watching this team play? This is nothing like what we're gonna see from them when they're playing games that matter. So uh, like some of the with the Lakers for me is that, but also like all of these games count. And if you're a team that you know is hovering around 500, granted we would expect them to be better than that when LeBron plays, but if he misses a lot of time and you're losing games to Oklahoma City, that matters when you're talking about, you know, being the 3 4,
1: 5 seed as opposed to the 7 8, 9 seed and having to go back to the play-in. Yeah, I mean, that's the big part, right? Like, that's the thing. When it's We will look back at this if they're in the play-in game by a game or two, right? We will look at those losses in the early season. And that's why I always laugh at people who are like, the regular season doesn't matter and things like that. I'm like, no, no. You need to bank the wins early in November mm-hmm. because that's gonna make a difference April and March. Like that's where you're gonna go like, Hey, we have a good enough we're in a good enough position in the standings. We can start resting guys and get ready for the playoffs. Whereas before it's like I mean the other way around, then you're then you're scrambling, going like we have to win every game because we blew two stupid games to OKC, where we're up by nineteen and twenty seven, I think, in the 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 first one. Like you're those come back to haunt you. In ridiculous ways. And you as somebody who's worked on staffs, you think about that too. Like that will keep you up at night in March if you're like, Man, we're one game away from being in the playing game. Like and and you'll go back in your head and go, like, so many stupid losses.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, look, this is what I was talking about with the Bulls when they started the season four and oh two, when like I was still somewhat skeptical, like, are the Bulls that good? They beat Detroit twice, New Orleans, and then Toronto without Siakam. And Granted, you factor that into your evaluation and how good you think they are, but also you still get to keep those four wins, you know, and like they (laughs) they were about to start on this insane stretch of schedule where they had like 18 straight games against teams that are, you know, going to be playoffs or playing teams or better. And like now they're already like more than halfway through that stretch and they're six and four through the, through the first 10 of the 14 games of that stretch. And, you know, that makes me think even more of them than I did when they started 4-0. You know, granted, two of the right. losses were to Philly, and one of them was without both Embiid and Tobias, and it was pretty embarrassing. But, you know, 6-3 and three in the other games, with, you know, the losses coming against the Knicks in a one-point game where they made a huge comeback, and, you know, again, one to Philly before Embiid was out, and then one to Golden State on the road. Like, th- it's just a team that I think a lot more of now, even than I did when they started 4-0. And when I was saying, like, it doesn't matter because you still get to keep the four wins. And the Lakers have to keep those two losses to Oklahoma City.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it's – I don't know about you, Jared. The funny thing is I'm going to kind of take us a little bit off the Lakers to a degree, but NBA in general, like, you know how we always talk about, like, you get a pretty good sense of the season after the first 20 to 30 games? Mm -hmm. I don't feel like that's going to be the case this year.
0: Oh, no. The same way as last year. Like, there's so many teams dealing with injuries, dealing with COVID – like a bunch of teams that made, like you look at a team like the Lakers, not only are they de- dealing with injuries and, you know, they just got THT back, like you mentioned also. So they got to work him in, but like they
1: don't have their literal best player and they made a ton of changes this off season. To it, it, right. And, and, and I think this is going to be across the board. I think we're going to have this with the bulls. I think part of the bulls run right now is DeMar DeRozan is playing at a career level. Oh yeah. Is Is this something that's going to stay all season? Like, you know, like that's, they they have to win these games with him dropping 36 37 points you know it's like okay is that a is that a real thing or is that um something that he's just on a hell of a hot streak to start the season it's just so many different variables throughout this year whereas like in years past i felt comfortable after like 25 games going like all right like some one or two things will change but this is pretty much what we got this year i feel like this is going to be wild the whole way through
0: Yeah, and I feel like it might be like that in the future. Like, I feel like teams are just because of the last two years, I feel like they're going to get much more aggressive, like managing the season differently. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, we're seeing it in football this year. Granted, football, they added a 17th game, but like Mm -hmm. one extra game doesn't make as much of a difference as people seem to think it does. And yet, we're still seeing teams like hold their quarterbacks out of games that they would probably have played otherwise. Um, and that's happened like multiple times this year. I feel like you're going to see NBA teams too. like star guy has like a little bit of an injury. Don't even risk it. Like, you know, like it just, it doesn't make sense. But, uh, on your DeRozan point, before we get back to the Lakers, uh, if DeMar cools off, hopefully that will be offset by Vucevic, like making a shot. At
1: <laughs> yeah. This that's, year. that's the other aspect of it. It's like, yeah, and they're doing this with Vuce, not really, uh, being productive. So we'll, We'll see how that looks. You know, once once he he's going to get back into form at some point.
0: You would think like he can't be as bad as he was to start the year. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the Lakers in, in a team construction sense. Yeah, like I mean, most people have spent most of the season talking about Westbrook and whether or not that works with LeBron. And I think you know you mentioned earlier that you're more worried about them in the playoffs than in the regular season. And I think that the Westbrook move to me was a regular season move. It was a, how can we survive when LeBron and or AD are on the bench? Or if LeBron and or AD get hurt, we need someone else to sort of raise our floor and stack wins in the regular season. And to me, I've mentioned this a couple of times on these previously, like, if I have LeBron on my team, I don't want to be in the business of solving regular season problems. I only want to be solving playoff problems. Like, yeah we're not going to be good enough to win if lebron and ad aren't healthy anyway so i might as well design my team as if they're going to be healthy and maximize for that scenario and i think that the difference between getting westbrook and doing something else probably comes down to that but then i look at what they did after getting westbrook and they just sort of stocked up on shooters of all different sizes and it's like yeah that's what has worked for lebron in the past like lebron a center and a whole bunch of shooters around them. And the center can be AD or it can be technically Russ. If you want to do use him as the, you know, the screener and pick and roll action, but, you know, surrounding them with Malik Monk and Wayne Ellington and Horton Tucker and Carmelo and Avery Bradley and Bazemore and Kendrick Nunn. Like, I think that part made sense. It's more of the, they got a floor raiser instead of another piece to fit for the playoffs. And then, they went and signed a bunch of centers that they don't need because they shouldn't be playing that way.
1: Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the center position, when they went and got DeAndre Jordan after getting Dwight Howard back, I, I was like, this makes no real sense to me. Um, and then he was getting minutes to start the season, and I'm like, okay, this is even weirder because uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't ready for that also. But, you know, like everything you said is exactly the way I felt about the Lakers offseason. I didn't like the Rust trade. I didn't like it. I, I was like, I'd rather have had buddy heel for, you know what they were doing. And then, um, then you look at it and they are like, once you saw the other pieces, they added, they're like, okay, well that can work in one way, shape or form. My bigger, the, the, the big concern too, was just where are they going to be defensively? Cause those guys will have to hit shots consistently and regularly for this to work. Cause they're just not going to be good defensively. Like I went through there. Um, I did a Twitch stream today and I went through the, all the threes, the, the bulls made from last night and they were all just bad defensive plays not guys and and it's guys like you know carmelo gets switched onto a guy like that's you know chicken dinner it's it's over um you know when you have those those guys and i think that's the real concern about this team cuz a lot of the guys they brought in are not guys i trust defensively like bradley's okay i think he tends to be, get a bit overrated with where he's at as a uh, a defender nowadays Bazemore, I think, is okay on wings, but he can't really guard point guards, and that's who's been lighting them up. Those two OKC games, Shea goes off. Mm -hmm. They get, you know, Morant almost steals a win at Staples Center, Uh, and that one went to overtime. But he went off in that. It's it's the point guards that are going to become a problem for them to defend, and that's going to be the biggest issue for them during the season and in the uh, playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with you. And Bazemore, by the way, can only really defend certain kinds
0: of wings, like. You, you put him on a big wing, it's not like he just like he's obviously pr- pretty well built, but his, his strength is like it's not where you think it is for a guy built like him. And he can get overpowered by some of the bigger wing scoring types. Like, I wouldn't really want to have him on like DeRozan, you know, right? Um, like it's just not a match physically. Um, there, there's other obviously big wing types that he can guard, but it's more the guys that are winning with. But like I could put him on Paul George or Tatum because they're not going to physically overpower him. It's not a great matchup, but it's a lot. It's a lot better than it would be on some of the stronger guys. Um, their defense, by the way, is is actually surprisingly fifteenth in the league right now. <laughs>
1: that's that's what's always funny to me. It's like I whenever I look at the numbers, I'm like, is this we still too early in the season, or <laughs> is this is this really like? Because I'll be honest, everybody wants to fire Frank Vogel right now. I go, this team being 15th in defensive rating, get the man a statue. Yeah. What's he supposed to be doing
0: right now? Like he's playing one quality defender for the most part. I mean, I mean,
1: it's, and, and, and again, they're still 15th. (laughs) That's amazing.
0: Yeah. By the the way, if anybody has any questions for me or Mo, feel free to send them in the chat. And uh, he was talking earlier about his Twitch stream. You can find that. He sends the the links out on Twitter. What are you doing them twice a week at this point? Oh, no, I'm doing them Monday through Friday. I talk all day now, Jerry. Oh, my God.
1: It's 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 a uh... stream.
0: And you got the one Mo thing on Twitter, which is just an elite, elite name, like a, <laughs> an absolute fantastic pun, um, like a little video series of, you know, short video breakdowns on different kinds of things in basketball. Those are great, too. And uh, Nerder on the, <laughs> the Athletic Podcast Network, uh, if you want to listen to that as well. Seth's book came out
1: today that's big too i was just gonna plug Seth's book he's he, he's uh pretty ecstatic the mid-range theory i'm a little pissed off i haven't gotten my copy yet but uh yeah, i uh, got
0: my copy that i bought but not the copy that the publisher was supposedly sending me that,
1: right <laughs> so um I'm, I'm i'm waiting for that and then i'm going to start yelling at him uh things but i'm very excited for him it's a big uh big moment for him i know when he was how stressed he was working on it throughout the, the oh, season yeah. last he year. was he was
0: stressed enough to send me multiple chapters and be like does this make sense and i'm like you know more about this shit than i do man like if it makes sense to me like, <laughs> yeah exactly i don't know does it <laughs> yeah. like if it makes sense to you then it's probably right if it makes sense to me then maybe some people can understand it like,
1: right, right. <laughs> um no, but everybody go check out the Mid-Range Theory. I know you can order it on Amazon. It is out today. I am plugging it for Seth. Um
0: and uh tr- triumphbooks.com as well. Um, there we go. Yeah. Um so back back to the Lakers before we get to the clip Before ones. we gave
1: Seth an ad, can we
0: get are we getting paid from Seth for that? Are we? I mean, we should. We should at least. I mean, I gave him a review on Amazon too. I I was like this book is good. That wasn't the whole review, but I said something to that effect.
1: Cut the check,
0: Seth. Let's go. <laughs> I, I want to talk about THT. He's a, he's a guy who I feel like is simultaneously overrated and underrated at the same time. I, I don't know why I said simultaneously and at the same time in the same sense. Like I said, two are that mean the same thing. Um, he's obviously played very well since coming back. He's, the two games scored, I think he scored 20 plus in both or 28 and 17 in the two games. Obviously, he's not going to be, you know, the number two option offensively for the whole year when they get LeBron back. But it's like, he's a guy where I think his shooting gets a little bit overrated. His defense maybe gets a little bit overrated, but he's also just a guy that is good on both ends of the court for the most part. Like he's not killing you on either end and they don't have very many guys about whom you can say that it's like Ellington is mostly a one-way player. Monk is mostly a one-way player Westbrook's a one-way player. Bradley's a one-way player. Carmelo's a one-way player. Like, he's their one guy on the wing that plays on both ends of the floor beside LeBron. So I feel like it's it's really important for them that he be good.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's the most complete role player they have in terms of just a total basketball player. And, you know, that was... Listen, that was the gamble they took when they were willing to let Caruso walk. that And letting Caruso walk so they could sign other guys was was kind of the decision that went into it. So it was the gamble, right? Like, yo, you you better pay off, kid. Like this is we're we're we betting on you. And, you know, two games. It's hardly even a sample size. But you know, there there are encouraging signs. He's shooting it all right. He's the his his defense is pretty good. He had a play against the Spurs in his first game back against the uh DeJounte Murray, where he just kinda of walled him up and and Really, kind of shut him down coming off the pick and roll. And I said, if he can do this consistently all year for the Lakers, he will help the defense so much. And that and and that's the guy you're you're looking at to to be able to defend those guards. And that's going to be critical for them. And they need him to do that. Whatever he gives you on offense is gravy to me. You know, because like I think the defensive end is where they need him the most. And and that's going to be the thing. But I love what you said when he's he is both overrated and underrated like it's Laker fans tend to go to overboard and go like, this kid could be an all-star type stuff. And it's like, everybody pump your brakes, but he's also pretty damn good basketball player.
0: Yeah. It's like, they have so many guys that are flashier names that get talked up in importance in terms of their role on the team. So I think in that sense, he's underrated because like, I think he's probably more important for them than Carmelo or Malik Monk. Like I I love Malik Monk. There may not be a more, uh, fervent Malik Monk backer than me, but they're going to need two way play at that spot, and Malik is not going to give it to them. You know, Tht at least has a chance to do that. Um, so I, I think that his, I would say his potential is probably overrated just because of the volume of Laker fans that talk him up, like you said. But his importance to the team is probably a little bit underrated at the moment. If that makes sense.
1: Um, yeah. What, no, do, it, what did it, you it, of the good. Caruso it, it, thing, it, it, by it the way?
0: I'm sorry, what was that? What did you make of the Caruso thing where like this report from yesterday where, you know, he came out last week and he was like on JJ Reddick's podcast, sort of like demurring about what the Lakers offered him. And then there was a report yesterday that like the Lakers hoped the fact that they were going to pay 17 extra million dollars in luxury tax would convince Caruso that they valued him more. And I'm just like, why would he care about that?
1: Yeah, that's just the dumbest thought ever. And at the same time, I could see that being their thought because of Rob Palenka, right? Like, I could see that being the, like, but that's how much we value you. We're willing to pay the tax. It's like, no, no, but you're not, the money's not coming to me, right? And these guys are willing to pay me. The real thing is, I just think the Lakers kind of, not just undervalued him, because that's an obvious thing, but I think they they miscalculated just how important he was to the team. And I think that's the big thing. And the and, and the more shocking thing I would say because if you watch those games, you're like, yo, he's he's an important piece, especially to the defense. He plays extremely well with LeBron. Like, he he just fits. And I think they just sort of thought, like, LeBron can make that work with just about anybody. We could plug in Malik Monk and LeBron will make it that look that good type of stuff. And I think that was their miscalculation there. And this is all, by the way, reckless speculation on my end, you know, seeing how they thought it. Just because if you don't value him and if you're talking about – you know he was saying on the podcast with JJ like they were offering lower than 2 for 15 million like that's that's ridiculous like that's a dude that does the contract he got in Chicago is perfectly fair and he was willing to take a little bit less to stay in LA but not that much less like that's the thing where i'm like they just didn't fully understand what they had in him
0: yeah and like similar to what i said earlier like yeah it can work with Malik Monk on offense you know like it's it's not it's not going to work <laughs> right. the same way on defense, and it can work with Avery Bradley on defense. Not really going to work on offense. So, it's, just, it's you know, you got to strike the balance there. Um, before we get moved to the Clippers, we got a question from Dave2301. Do you guys think if the Celtics stay healthy and this defense the last few games is real, can they be a top three
1: team in the East? Uh, where do you fall on that one? I, I do not. And I think part of it is I think the defense is going to get better than what it's been to start the year. I think the past three games have been promising. But the way I look at it, and it is just I don't trust them offensively. It's just their offense becomes so one-on-one based, so just reliant on Tatum and Brown to sort of create everything. And it's really just create for themselves because they're not playmakers. Marcus Smart isn't a playmaker. Dennis Schroeder is not a playmaker. And I mean playmaker for others. You know, none of these guys that they have are guys that are going to make somebody else better. They're going to make some nice passes here. Tatum's going to have a game with five or six assists, you know. Uh, Some nights he'll pop off and have eight or nine. Same for Schroeder. But it's not a consistent playmaking thing. And that's what they need more than anything else to get into the top three of the East. Because I think the other teams, you know, I think Milwaukee and Brooklyn are going to – Milwaukee's going to get healthy at some point this season. And I think they're going to be at that level. You know, when you're seeing – what you're seeing from Chicago, I think Chicago's going to most likely have this – solid. The defense has been solid. and I think as long as they're healthy, I think they're going to be tough to overcome to get into that top three. I think Brooklyn's already there with where they're at. Their defense has been much improved. So I just don't think Boston's going to get there. I think the defense is going to get better. I don't think it's going to be enough to put them in the top three.
0: Yeah, I think I'm with you. I I had them finishing third in the East in the regular season standings before the season. I think I sort of overestimated the offense because for the exact reason that you said, I'm not sure that they have enough creation for others out there. Like even when they bring Schroeder in for smart, it's still, you know, it's a guy who's a better off the bounce creator, but a better off the bounce creator for himself. You know, their best creator for others is probably Al Horford. And if you're running your offense through Horford, when you have Tatum and Brown and Schroeder, and even like Robert Williams, like, you know, what, what are you doing? Like your, your priorities are sort of out of line. Um, so I, I think that that's sort of the reason why I wouldn't necessarily have them as a top three team. Granted, they can make a move at some point to acquire someone else like that. Like, I, I don't think the solution's on the roster. Like, I don't think the solution is, like, let's play Peyton, Peyton Pritchard more often or anything like that. You know, it's it's still a good team. It's, I think it's still, you know, a solid playoff team that is somewhere between, like, the four and eight seed in terms of regular season finish but i'm i'm worried about their offense in a playoff setting which i'm not sure if dave 2301 was asking about um the regular season standings or in terms of like ability to make the finals but i think either way i come down sort of where you did too um yeah
1: i mean if they could find a way if if this is the prototype cuz the guy's not going to be available but if they could find a ricky rubio type that team that team jumps a whole nother level to
0: yeah, man, Rubio, I mean, he had, like, an out-of-body experience at the Garden a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, um, <she> <laughs> which Which is not usually what you expect from him, but playing him next to Darius Garland has worked, like, really well for them. Like, Garland can play on and off the ball, and Rubio can do some of the playmaking. And they had uh, the game that they played against Boston the other night, actually. Rubio made, like, a couple just, like, really good decisions with the ball that I'm not sure Garland makes the same the same time if, he, if he's the one in control of the offense at that point, just because he doesn't have, you know, the experience and the decision-making yet. Like Garland's going to be a, a really good player and as a good playmaker, but he's not necessarily making the same decision the same way than a guy who's been in the league for 10 years, you know? But right. yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, to move to the Clippers, um, no Kawhi, obviously. I was very surprised before the season that – so I wrote – the the intro for the 538 nba projections before the season and like i don't have anything to do with the creation of the model i barely know how it works i don't care if people think it's trash uh which a lot of people felt like a very strong need to tell me it was on twitter it was all
1: your fault jared it was yeah all your i mean fault. <laughs> like
0: and i would say like i literally barely know how it works but they were ba- like so they were predicted to have the, the sixth best record in the West, but the best chance to win the West because the model includes Kawhi coming back on March 1st. Um, I think that that's pretty aggressive because of how he's tended to manage injuries in the past. Like I would not be surprised if we don't see him at all this year. Granted they're, you know, projecting optimism, but you know, they're sitting there at eight and five too. their point differential is I think second or third best in the West right now. Paul George is playing at a ridiculously high level. You know, they had uh, Marcus Morris out for a while. Um, my main thing is, why Why are we still starting Eric Bledsoe instead of just being like, we're starting Terrence Mann? Um, and the fact that I'm willing to say that, despite the fact that Terrence Mann went to the worst school in the country, Florida State University, um, tells you a lot about how good he is. <laughs>
1: i never knew there was so much florida state hate uh you know i went to miami i i I actually didn't but now i get it tough 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 week for you um oh god but we but let's go to the clippers because it's a happier conversation one like when you say you wouldn't be surprised if Kawhi doesn't come back this season i'd be shocked if he comes back this season just the way it's it's just the way he handles everything. Like, we never hear a word about it. And it's funny because it, it, it is going to be just a situation where, like, oh, Kawhi's playing tonight. Oh, okay. Like, we're not going to get real any real heads up into it in the way that it, it, they kind of go about it. But I mean, they barely deigned to tell us that he had a partially torn
0: ACL. They right. were just, like, <laughs> not going to tell anybody.
1: Yeah, they were just going to keep it quiet. So, you know, um, so, so I'll be shocked if he comes back this season. I think that's also why he signed a long-term contract, you know, it was a four-year deal, right? And, and the extension. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I think he just kind of said, let me just, I'm not going to play this year. Let me lock this in and then go from there. Um, the the thing about the Clippers who are on who are on a great roll after starting like one and three or one and four, I think is one, Ty Lu's one of the best coaches in the NBA. And he's and he's one of the quickest to go, hey, this isn't working. I'm going to change. I'm going to do something else. Now, that goes against your, we shouldn't be starting Eric Bledsoe. I think the reason why is, you know, they, and I'm with you because I'm not a Bledsoe fan, but I think they know at some point they're going to need Bledsoe. And if they move him to the bench, and it's people hate it because it's like, yo, this is about ego. I go, sometimes being a coach is about managing egos. If you move him to the bench, there's a good chance you might lose Bledsoe for the season mentally. You know, and him being less engaged and things like that. You need to keep him locked in. Terrence Mann is going to continue to develop. He's going to continue to get minutes. He's had some games, you know, where he's played really well. I think that's their their focus. They understand that this year it's hey, If Kawhi's not coming back, this is kind of a gap. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, um,
0: it's more about, like, it seems like Bledsoe is out there because they want, like, a co-lead ball handler with Jackson and George. And for me, I think I would just rather have the – the more versatile defender out there at this point with the way they're starting lineup is
1: set up. Like you have Jackson, you have George, um, has when, when we can't drop him that way, what's that? Well, they just, they, they just can't afford to lose him mentally. Right. Oh, and no, have him yeah. Not like, That's, not like it's, it's a good point.
0: Yeah. It's, it's something that I hadn't considered. And obviously Ty has a lot of experience dealing with all different kinds of egos from, you know, his various stops around the league. Um, so it, it makes sense that he would be a guy that would sort of stick, to that sort of plan, he's also, by the way, very quick to something is working, and we're going to change it at a moment's notice, anyway. Like right. uh,
1: <laughs> that's
0: true. But like sometimes... when Man was his best bench player against uh, Dallas in the first round last year, and then he played like six minutes in Game One against Utah, and I was like Ty, what are you doing?
1: Yeah, that was a weird. That you know, I always feel like Ty in the first two games of the uh, the a playoff series, he just goes back to what he originally starts with. Mm-hmm. And then sees what and 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 then and then decides from there. I'm like, you know, you could just probably like win these series quicker. Yeah, and, and that's, that's what he did in the, in the first round series too. Like,
0: <laughs> right? They came you know, out was... playing big against Dallas when he knew the way we're gonna beat Dallas is by going small and stretching Porzingis out all over the court. They knew that it was how they beat them last year or the year before. And then yeah. after two games, and you know, spurred on by Ibaka's injury. They after two games they sort of ditch the you know the big ball and it's like all right well you can't deal with us now and that's you know, <laughs> that's the benefit of having both Morris and Batum who can handle you know the the forward center minutes together. Um, one thing I've been really intrigued by by the way is without Morris Isaiah Hartenstein is playing a bunch of minutes and like Ibaka has only played I think a couple games and obviously he's coming back from the long term injury but like Hartenstein looks like he's just like pretty good like and they're killing teams when he's on the court he's really he moves really well for a guy his size and he's a lefty
1: so i love it well i'm a lefty so i always approve me too Uh, there we go so we're we're the old lefty club uh the the thing about isaiah too is like he kind of got a raw shake in his career because he started out i think in houston Mm -hmm. um or at least where i recognized him because I was doing a podcast with Kelly Eco from the Athletic uh on, on the Rockets. And, you know, like he could play, but then they went to the they shifted to that total small ball lineup, yep. basically made him irrelevant there. But it's great to see what he's doing with the Clippers. And the stuff that I like about him is he's actually a pretty good passer as well, like a decent little playmaker in, 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 in the sense of he can make the second and third pass that you need in, in, in some of these plays to find the open guy and keep the the ball hopping. Like, he's been a solid, solid contributor for what they're doing. And this is a dude that was battling for a spot against Harry Giles. Like, I thought Giles was going to end up winning that in the preseason. And, you know, fair enough, he just outplayed him. And Ty loves what he brings to the table. And he's been a great substitution for them. When Zubac goes out, they bring him in because, you know, you said it. Like, Ibaka's not ready yet. Ibaka hasn't played for a really long time. Like, he's actually getting... Uh, some rehab pl- uh, minutes in the G League, which I love that the Clippers are doing that and using their, their G League team that way. But until then, like it's good having Hartenstein to come in and fill those minutes and know what he can do. So like during the course of the season, you know for whatever reason, if it's like Ibaka gets the bulk of the minutes when he's healthy and ready to go, but he's in foul trouble or Zubac gets in foul trouble, you know you can go to Hartenstein and get quality minutes out of him.
0: They just have a bunch of different options at center. Like I wrote before the season about how the Nets have like basically like seven centers and yeah. they we're going to try to use them all in different ways. The the Clippers kind of have something like that too. You know, you can use Morris and Zubots and Hartenstein and Ibaka and like even Justice Winslow. Um, and, and I guess technically like you could use Batum even if you want to go even smaller. Like it's, it's a lot of dudes and that benefits you. But I do think like the best, version of their team is they if they can get the abaca they thought they were getting like that was the whole reason they signed him was so they they could try to play small and big at the same time that's like the benefit of having a player like Abaka abaca who can move around the perimeter and defend well in space and protect the rim and stretch the floor as a shooter and is like more willing to shoot from outside the paint than a guy like zubas is who's gonna do most of his damage in the immediate area around the basket like That was the whole reason they decided instead of Montrez Harrell, we're going to go get Ibaka. Like, that's still to me the best version of this team. But you just don't know if you can get to that because he's been out for so long. You just don't know what he's physically going to look
1: like. Yeah. And that's why Batum's been so great for them. And we got to give him some love, you know, just for what he's providing for this team, not just this season, but last season, because he's going to be that guy. If they, if they end up not getting those minutes from Ibaka the way they hope, it's going to have to be Batum, you know, playing the 4-5, him and Morris in mm. those regards. But, like, Batum's just phenomenal. What he does defensively, hitting timely shots for them, everything he brings to the table for the Clippers is just, like, you, you wouldn't have expected it. When they first signed him, we all thought, like, okay, but he didn't do anything in Charlotte. He doesn't have, you know, he, he, he's probably done. And even when he started out well, we're like, okay, but it'll fade. And sure enough, he's continued really for the past year and a half to the point where it's like, yo, I'm surprised he didn't get a bigger contract in the in regu- in the in the offseason. I know it was because he wanted to stay with the Clippers, but I would have thought somebody would have overpaid for
0: him. Yeah, and it's the second straight year that he's filling in for Morris when he's out at the start of the year too and just doing really well. Like last year when Morris came back, he was like, Batum's playing well, I'm going to come off the bench. And then they switched it back at a certain point when Batum's shooting fell off a little bit. And then obviously in the playoffs they went – you know, to, to starting both of them when uh, in in the first round and then again when Kawhi was out in the se- in the second round. But uh, I think we sort of got a clue about Batum last year when he showed up and just looked like an actual different person than he did for the right. last couple of years in Charlotte. Um, you know, dropped 10, 15 pounds and just looked like he was in better shape. And he was like, oh, I can care about basketball again. And uh, it turns out that uh, a guy who's like still in his, Physical prime, was he 31, 32 years old? Something like that? Yeah. Yeah, he's he's 32 now. I guess he'll be 33 in a couple weeks. But, you know, turns out he can still play. And, like, you know, one thing that's working much better for them this year than last year, too, is, like, Luke Kennard has not been terrible like he was for the significant majority of last season. And getting another guy that can be, like, a movement shooter, like, they need their shooting really badly for their offense because the only guys that are creating that much – off the dribble are PG and Reggie and mostly, you know, much like the Boston guys for themselves last year, they sustained their offense by having like one of the best three point shooting seasons in NBA history. They're not quite at that level this year, but having Kennard back to himself for the most part is really valuable
1: for that. Oh, it's oh, huge. huge. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's such a, a, a big game changer for them in that sense. You know him, he just looks so much more comfortable as well. Like watching him play. I got to I went to the game against Portland in the beginning of the year. So this was a while ago. But that was a game where honestly like PG didn't even shoot it that well. And it was Kennard, man, and Hartenstein off the, the the second unit that really won them that game. And cannard went six to eight from three in that game. Like the, the, the Blazers had no answers for him. And he's just doing a great job running to open spots, creating the opportunities to find to to create passing lanes for his guards to kick it out to him. And he was just drilling shots. And now, you know, as long as he can stay consistent with his shooting, and that's going to be the key right there, I mean, that's just such a a lethal weapon for the Clippers to kind of unload. Because there's not – they don't have anybody on the roster that's like that. That kind of movement. PG is
0: really the only other movement shooter on the team. Like guys like Morris and Batum are more standstill shooters. Man is a standstill shooter. Bledsoe is a shooter, like, in his mind, but not many other places. Right,
1: right.
0: <laughs> um, but you you need a guy that can, like, come off a pin down and, you know, just go straight up into a three. Like, you can't have that be PG every time, you know? Like, you need somebody else to run that action with, and especially when, when PG's on the bench and, you know, you've got to be searching for some other way to create offense with your bench guys, especially because they don't have, you know, a point guard who's going to, you know, run the whole offense and be like, we're going to put this guy at the top of the floor and run 50 pick and rolls with him when our bench unit's out there. You need something else that you can go to all the time. And it's like, do you want to run your offense through Zubat's post ups, through like hartenstein pick and rolls? Like, those aren't super appealing options to me. So, having like a really good shooter come off a pin down and either go right
1: up or hit the guy on the slip is just like, that's why they got him in the first place. And and having that shooter also makes it harder to defend the man Hartenstein pick and roll because you're still worried about hit, Canard lifting up into open space that's going to be created from the pick and roll from pulling in. So it's just like it's 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 pivotal to the 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 the, the, the environment almost, right? It's like part of the uh, the the ecosystem of an offense, right? Like even if he's not getting the shot, just the the chance that he can is enough to open up another opportunity for somebody else.
0: For sure. They have a, a really interesting schedule the next few weeks. I'm going to be watching a bunch of them because they've got San Antonio, Memphis, uh, New Orleans, which doesn't really matter, but Dallas, Dallas, Detroit doesn't really matter, and then Golden State. Like that's a, a like, you know, San Antonio, Memphis, Dallas, Dallas, Golden State as what's that five of their next seven games. Um, I, I'm going to be tuned into a bunch of those because uh, – you know, like, I, what are they? They're eight and five. Like I said, they they'd come off winning seven in a row, and obviously they, you know, they lose to the the Bulls, who are back. Um,
1: right.
0: And uh, but the, it's it's an important stretch, you know, like, and they definitely have to win like that New Orleans game and that Detroit game and another New Orleans game. Like all these games for these teams in like the middle of the pack in the West are just super important. Um, so, but so I, I want to talk about the Spurs, by the way. You saw you were a video coordinator with the Spurs at one point, if I'm remembering correctly. No. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. Many years ago,
0: Clippers, Spurs and what uh, Australia. Right. Yes, man. My memory. Some days Nailed it's there. It. Uh, Nailed it. <laughs> they have been struggling since Jakob Pertle uh, got COVID and has been out for a few games. Now, Dejounte Murray seems like he's taken a step forward to be like the, the pillar of the rebuild type that they've been looking for. But the other young guys, I'm not quite as sure about. Like Lonnie Walker started the first few games of the year, but has been coming off the bench and his shot has really fallen off since he went to the bench. Keldon Johnson has been kind of inconsistent. Devin Bissell is is shooting well and defending well, but he's not much of a creator. Like, what are your thoughts on this team, like overall and like what they need around Murray,
1: I guess? Well, it's it's funny because I I kind of disagree a little bit with you on Murray. It's, it's The the way I look at this team, I go, like, this team is just a whole bunch of role players waiting for the star, right? Well, and yeah, I mean, I don't think he's, like, a superstar type. No, but no. But, but, like, a guy – like, I don't even know if I'm San Antonio if I'm, like, I'm going to build around Murray at this point. He's looked better. He's, he's definitely improved as a player and things like that. But he's not a guy I feel like – if the right trade came along and it was, like, we can get better, we just got to trade Murray, like, I wouldn't go, like it, – it, it would be a no-brainer. Like, okay, I'm good. Um, with that, the way I just—they have a lot of guys that are all really nice that I just wish were on better teams. Um, that could help another team. Like, you know, just think about what Keldon Johnson could do for like the Lakers. Yeah, you know, they have like a bunch of third to sixth men. Yeah, exactly. That are good. That are good third to sixth men. Like you're looking at it, going like these guys are so good. Like they are literally just waiting for the one dude to take them over the top. You know, and I i don't know. I don't think it's somebody on the roster. I don't know if, you know, I, I don't know where they're going to end up draft wise. Um, I know nothing about college basketball, so I have no idea if there's anybody coming in the pipeline. That's so amazing. Um, but like you're in this situation with them where it's like they just have a, they have a lot of talent. And then there's going to be nights where they're just going to be frisky and fight you and be really difficult. And, you know, they're going to pull off some wins because of that, because. They are well coached with Pop. They are going to be disciplined for the most part for what they're doing. But it's just, it's a talent level. They're just, they're just a level below, you know, most of those teams. Yeah. I I think that, you know, because we were talking about Seth's book earlier,
0: we do have to mention that they're well coached, except when they're down by four with like 25 seconds left and they go
1: for a quick two every time. Dude, there's so many coaches that are doing that. That drives me nuts.
0: But Seth in particular hates when the when the, the Spurs yeah. do it, like <laughs> drives yes. them
1: nuts. Um, which is which is why I think Pop does it. <laughs> yeah, probably. He, it's probably it's probably he probably calls it run the part now. Yeah.
0: Uh- <laughs> one of the interesting things with them too is like all of their young guys are like one two types, or I guess if you want to include Kelvin Johnson, like two three types. They don't have a young foundational piece on the front line. Like Pirtle is like a solid ish, like borderline starter, backup, center. Like, he's a good defender, but he's, you know, a non-entity for the most part on offense. And if you foul him, he's, like, less likely to make a shot than Ben Simmons is to tell the Sixers who his doctors are. Um, <laughs> like, so... And then, the, you know, they're rotating through, like, Doug McDermott and Thad And, like, Thad Young's a good playmaker. He's not a difference maker for them in terms of what they're doing offensively. Like, it's just they're missing the, that swing piece and like the three and four spots to sort of lock in what they're doing. It's like, you know, because none of Vassell or Walker or White or like Keldon is a little bit bigger than those guys, but not a ton. And then, you know, even there are other young guys, like Primo is another guy who's like a combo guard that they just drafted. Like they brought in Keita Bates-Diop who plays on occasion. Like none of these guys are the type of big wing types that you need these days, in l- to, on both ends of the court, and they don't have that one guy.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's just kind of where they're at right now as an organization, you know? And, and the thing is, they're still going to win some games, you know? Yeah,
0: like, but I think, especially when they get Pertle back and their defense gets back online, like they really need for him to be out there for those purposes. Like, hadn't, is, he's not back, right? They played the, the Lakers the other night, and I don't think, yeah, I don't think it, he's back there. yet. Um, been dealing with COVID and they're playing like, uh, Eubanks and Thad, as you know, they their fives for the most part. And there's, it's a very small team, and they want to force, you know, opponents to that big guy at the rim. And he does a really, really good job of protecting the paint. So, obviously, without him there, it's pretty difficult to play the style of defense that they want to play. And uh, when he gets back, you would imagine their defense will get a decent it'll, chunk better.
1: It'll, it'll pick up. The guy that interests me the most about the Spurs. And this is kind of unfair to the Spurs because I'm I'm not interested in him on the Spurs, but curious to see what will happen is with that young, right? Like if he tries to get a buyout, if he tries to get out of there, because if that were to happen, every contender is going to line oh up. My it's going to be an so episode of it's going to be the episode of the Bachelor. Like they should actually do it. They should actually do it. Should be broadcast, and it should be they should do it like the 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 Bachelor. All the uh, I don't fully know the Bachelor, so I'm gonna botch how I. This is how I think the Bachelor goes, right? But like, all the GMs should line up, and we should just do it in waves. They should make their pitch, and then you know, and then he gives out the rose to the first, you know, the 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 top five. Then they make a new pitch. Then it's to the top three. Then a new pitch, and then he gives the rose to the one team he's going to. I'm, I'm into I've, in. wa-
0: I've only watched one episode of the Bachelor. My old roommates that I lived with, like seven, eight years ago, they were watching the whole season, and they are like, you got to watch The Bachelor with us. And I watched one episode, and I was like, <sighs> it did not go as
1: well as they thought it would. But, well, any, anybody listening, did, did I come close? Is this Would this be similar to what The Bachelor is? Does anybody in here watch The Bachelor? Because, <laughs> I mean,
0: that sounds right to me. Like, if that's not the way they do it, they should do it that way. I know they do something like where they go on dates. Like, I wouldn't be opposed to watching Thad Yum go on like dates with GMs to see if they can woo him. uh, I don't have,
1: I don't have enough time Jared to spend on this. (laughs) I need this in a one hour show. (laughs) (laughs) I would watch like a two week process. Like, you know, between
0: the trade deadline and then the buyout deadline, there's like a two week window where they all have to convince him to to join their teams. Like, yeah, That, that was what confused me. That was like, there was a lot of, we were talking about obviously DeRozan earlier, the, the thing that I objected to was putting Thad Young in the first round pick in the trade. I was like, <laughs> "You're gonna need, first of all, you're gonna need Thad Young." I guess they had to put him in to make the money work, and then also you gave up a better pick to get DeRozan than the Heat did to get Kyle Lowry. When obviously Lowry had been better uh, for the last few years, but you know Demar's younger and he's obviously outplaying him this year. He's been, you know, one of the small handful of best players in the league so far. So we're gonna have pretty well. Even in terms of you know the value proposition that I was thinking about,
1: yeah, no, I mean it's it was a it's still a wild trade like that they, they gave that up. I understand it for the Bulls just because everything when you look at the way the team performs now, like you know we we could kind of look at it and go like yeah that was a lot. But if you're the Bulls, you're going like look where we're at right now, and look where we've been at the past few years. We're happy. <laughs> you know it's 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 along the times like when I don't win on the sneakers app so I have to go on Goat and buy the Jordans because I really wanted them. I go yes, I had to spend a little bit more but now I'm happy when they arrive so it's 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 just the way it works sometimes in the league you know and I think we harp sometimes too much on the price a, 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 a little bit more than we should and and yes like Dad Young would have helped them but they needed to include him in the trade. yes, I'm sure they would have loved to have kept the pick especially after sending picks to get Vucevic you know from Orlando like it's it's just a tough thing where it's like that was just the cost we had to do and it's paying off because the dude's having a career year right now.
0: Yeah and I mean I was pretty high on it from an offensive standpoint and that hasn't even been the better side of the floor for them so far. Right. That's the amazing thing. (laughs) I I think Billy
1: Donovan sort of needs his props you know like. I owe him an apology. This is hard for me. I don't like to apologize to people. Um, I owe him an apology because I never liked him as a coach in Oklahoma City. I thought his offense was very mundane and 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 never really creative and all of that stuff. I didn't think he'd be a, a, a great coach or anything like that. But he's killing it in Chicago. I just – I got to tip my hat to him. He, he's been awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think we've
0: seen over the years that the OKC offense wasn't necessarily Scott Brooks or Billy Donovan's offense. Yeah. But yeah. for the most part – Russ and/or KD's offense, so I'm not sure how much we can judge anybody that coached there on what what their quote unquote
1: system was, you know? No, no, for sure. And I think that was the the, uh, the for me, it was just like, but that was my point though. If you're bringing in a new coach, he has to be strong enough to control and change the the offensive system. And I, and if he's not, then why why were you switching from Scott Brooks to Billy Donovan? Because there wasn't much of a change in OKC at that point.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they did it because of the article I wrote at Grantland back in the day. I'm just
1: going to tell myself that. Um, I, I always do feel like you have that power. I wake up every morning and, and and just make sure that you haven't written a slam piece on me yet. Yeah, no,
0: I mean, it, it wasn't really even a slam piece. I was just it, like, it seems like this Scott Brooks thing has sort of run its course. And I said that they should hire Stan so he could turn Ibaka into, like, his new Dwight Howard. Uh, Stan was not happy with me about that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, because I I saw him at Sloan a few months later, and he was like, don't do that. Um, (laughs) And and I saw Scott a couple years later, too, and he explained some of the stuff to me about, like, staggering lineups and whatnot, and he was like, yeah, those guys have played the whole first quarter, like, their whole careers. What, are they going to change that? It's like they're creatures of habit. They don't want to do that, and it took a long time to convince any any of those guys to do that. That's why when I wrote something last year about the Mavs, I was like super surprised that in the middle of the season they just flipped the rest patterns for Doncic and Porzingis because Porzingis right. was like I'm much more comfortable playing longer
1: stints, and Luca was like sure, fine, let's do it. I mean, look at it with what Curry's doing with Curry's minutes now. Yeah, you know, and it's that's been a massive change, and that's Steph Curry. Like you know, like and he even said like it is harder. Like I, I like he wants to play a little longer to get more of a rhythm. Has I mean, as we've seen in some of these games, hasn't really made a difference. He's still freaking good, um, but like that is part of the 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 process and the equation of it. Like people don't understand. Like I just wrote a piece on Bleacher Report about all thirty coaches and critique them and things like that and stuff I didn't like and stuff. The one thing is people don't understand. It's hard to coach in the NBA. Like and that's just even if you're just evaluating on the stuff that we see in games. You like uh, that's the thing. Nobody knows what's going on behind the scenes and nobody knows the small things of like, no, no, these two guys hate each other. I can't play them together because then it just turns into a pissing contest on the court between the two of them. Like, no, I got to make sure this it's it's all of the small details that they know that we don't, you know, and, and and things like that. Like so sometimes when there are things that don't make sense, it's like sometimes I just chalk it up to going like they know something I don't know.
0: Yeah. And and I think also like one of the things that I think probably motivated this thing with with Steph and, and Kerr right now is that it's a different Warriors team than it was in the past. And attaching Steph and Draymond isn't as important or not necessarily isn't as important, but isn't as feasible now as it was then. You don't have somebody that can anchor the second units like Clay or Clay and K D, you know? Right. Like Jordan Poole is not anchoring your second unit for you. I really like Jordan Poole. I think he's going to be a good player. He's not anchoring the second unit. And so having at least one of those two guys out there at pretty much all times just makes much more sense now than it did before. When you could say like, we have enough talent to the point where it doesn't matter because we have, you know, KD and clay and Iguodala and Sean Livingston all c- coming and playing with the bench unit. So we can have step and Draymond attached at all costs and they can play the whole first and third quarter every night and the second half of the second and fourth quarter every night because we don't need to worry about those first six minutes of those other two quarters because we got Katie and clay out there. That's not the case anymore. And being able and willing to adjust both from a coaching standpoint and, and especially from a player standpoint, when you've had a routine for so like I wrote years and years ago at this point about like pregame warmups and what different players do during pregame warmups. Some guys told me they hadn't changed their routine since their rookie year. And it's like, that's how much of creatures of habit a lot of players are to get them to, to get, especially a superstar to change his rest pattern. Was he now 13, 14 years into his career or something along those lines? Like that's, that's pretty big, especially because he's been playing that same rest pattern since Kerr got there. Basically what's uh, going back to 2014, 15. So that's eight, nine years. Like that's a big thing. And it's really impressive to me that they were willing to do that.
1: Yeah, and that's and that and I'll be very interested to see what happens when Clay comes back and how that changes the rotations because Clay's not going to be ready at least the first month or two that he's back to anchor a second lineup either. No, you know, like th- that's going to be the important thing. So I'll be fascinated to see how Kerr manages that stuff. And I think you know, as as great as the Warriors look now, I also think I won't be surprised to see a dip when Clay comes back because it's going to take a while to get him up to speed.
0: Yeah, that was one of the things that, that came out in the, uh, the 538 predictions, too, where the, um, the model now considers Clay a negative player because it has a heavy penalty for Achilles injuries mm-hmm. and it has a really heavy penalty for multiple long term injuries. So it has him as being worth like negative 0.2 points per 100 possessions or something like that, which I mean, I think it's probably on the aggressive side. In terms of going negative on him, I think he'll still be a positive, but obviously it's like it's going to take him some time to get up to speed. It's going to take him some time to get back to being Clay that we're used to if he ever is able to get back there. Like KD is the exception. Nobody else that's come back from an Achilles has looked like that. Nobody. And from an Achilles and an ACL, especially, nobody has done that. The only two guys that have come back from that that I can remember. Are like John Wall and Boogie
1: Cousins, and neither of them look like remotely the same player. Yeah, know? I would, I would, I would put back in quotes too when it, when it, when we come to that with those guys, because that's the other thing is like when people compare it to KD last year, I go, KD looked great on the court, and that was that was an anomaly, but he also wasn't on the court a lot. Yep, you know, and that's that kind of happens with Achilles. Because your body basically has to readjust itself and, and learn how to do all the movements again. And, you know, there's a little more weight on your, this is going to get super nerdy, a little more stress on your right hamstring because you're, it was his left Achilles, right? Uh,
0: I think so. I mean, either way, I know all about this. I tore my knee twice, I tore my opposite hip. Then I, during the rehab for that hip, I tore the other hip. Like, Jerry, I just we had, we had to like put a partially you in a torn right, Like,
1: man, you okay?
0: Yeah, man. I'm like a 75-year-old inside a 34-year-old's body, but it's all good. (laughs) Wow. Mo, thank you for doing this, man. Really appreciate it. Um, You can find Mo on Twitter at, what is it, MoDakil underscore NBA, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, It's M-O-D-A-K-H-I-L underscore NBA. You can find the Twitch streams. He has the link in his Twitter profile. You can find the One mo Thing videos that he does uh, on Twitter as well. Find uh, the writing at Bleacher Report. Find the podcasts at The Athletic Podcast Network. Uh, Once again, thank you for doing this, man. I appreciate you. Oh, no, thank you for having me, man. It was a good time. No doubt. Uh, We'll be back Thursday, I believe. Had a guest fall through. So trying to work on another one, and hopefully we'll be able to get that lined up. Same time, Thursday, 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Have a good one.